Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at ADCES24.org. Hello, and welcome to ADCES's podcast, The Huddle, conversations with the diabetes care team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Over several episodes, we're discussing the value you provide as a diabetes care and education specialist and how you can leverage that value to promote your role. You can access a new toolkit and paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash value toolkit. In this episode, we're talking about the incredible value you provide in population health. Dawn No joins us to share how she leveraged her role to set up and manage a remote monitoring program to impact population health. Dawn, welcome to the huddle. Thank you, I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you on the program today, especially since you're here to talk about population health. And, you know, you and I both know because we've had these conversations over the past few months about, you know, there's really this growing understanding of how the diabetes care and education specialist impacts population health, you know, at the system level and at the community level. And you actually have experience in this area of implementing a program. So, I'm really excited to hear your story and how you got there. But, you know, before we jump into that, it would be great for you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got to this place. Sure. Yeah. So I love being a diabetes care and education specialist, and I have been fortunate to work in this field really since 2005 or so. You know, worked quite a bit in traditional diabetes care and education, did a lot of um, group nutrition classes, group diabetes education classes. So I've really kind of grown up in my professional career doing traditional diabetes education. Um, had the fortunate opportunity to work with a major medical center where we were really, as diabetes care and education specialists, given quite a bit of um, creative flexibility. <laughs> so I had been used to working in an environment where the physicians um, that we worked with in, in the endocrinology department allowed us to create programming that met people's needs with newer um, ways of doing things. So we had traditional diabetes education and classes, but one of the things that I was able to do was to help with a continuous glucose monitoring group class. So we had taken the concept of a a traditional diabetes class and then built it around um, using professional continuous glucose monitors and data. So one of the things that I would say kind of helped me grow into the population health space is that I got the opportunities to do diabetes care in a few different ways that were less traditional and then also got to see how people with diabetes benefited from newer models of care. 
come. And that kind of spurred my interest in, well, what else could we do? And that kind of led me to that population health side of things. (laughs) Well, I love that, you know, in this specialty, in the diabetes care and education specialty, I hear that so often that there's so much movement and you do get, so you get this, like you talked about this traditional education, the traditional work you were doing. So you get that solid foundation But every diabetes care and education I talk to is really creative by nature, it seems like. So you have this opportunity, like you said, to do creative things that spark change and implement those into the health system. So that's so cool. I'm I'm excited to see or to hear a little bit more about your experience here. But before we jump in again to that piece, this is another thing we've talked about a lot what is population health to you? Because we hear so many different definitions, you know, depending on who we're talking to and what their perspective is. Yeah. And I think that's so true. I I will tell you when I first heard the term population health, it sounded kind of neat, but I really didn't know what it meant. (laughs) And so it was one of those topics that I was like, okay, I think I know what that is, but I really, if you had to ask me, I really didn't know. And so I, I'm very influenced by, um, I would say, a talk that I heard uh, at the time in AADE conference given by Kelly Rodriguez. And she did this phenomenal talk on population health that talked about what if there were no G codes for us to build diabetes care and education through? What if we couldn't do traditional diabetes education? How would we still sell our services of how we help people with diabetes and people affected with diabetes um, to our employers, to the hospitals that we worked for. And so it kind of got me realizing that the diabetes care and education specialist is really already doing population health. Because when I heard what population health was, either through Kelly's talk or through some of my own digging, and I have to reference here the um, paper that was published in TDE at the time, uh, which was called Population Health, the Diabetes Educator's Evolving Role, that paper really was eye-opening to me because I had already heard the message from Kelly Rodriguez about um, what if we weren't able to do the typical traditional care that we do? And then what is population health, which was what her talk was about. And if you look at the paper too, it talks about population health being um, some of the principles being person-centered. And I thought, well, yes, she's absolutely right. We as diabetes care education specialists, we really care for that whole person with diabetes. We don't just look at one piece. We look at the whole picture of their health. And another principle was that population health relies on care coordination and communication. I thought about how many times I have needed to reach out to a physician to talk about the person with diabetes and what types of medications they were on and how we might need to adjust them for their lifestyle or maybe they're not taking them accurately Or maybe the problem was they didn't know how to use their insulin pen properly. And once we taught them that, then they were able to do everything they needed to do. So just thinking about how the diabetes care and education specialist almost does function often as a care coordinator, even though we were never called that. So it was, I started to see that as I learned more about population health, that it was already things that I was doing as a diabetes care and education specialist. Um, I might not have been doing every piece of population health, but it was you know, I already was functioning in a role that would have defined what population health was. And so that was kind of my aha moment that, oh, we as diabetes care education specialists, we are population health. We we are already doing this. We could do it more strategically and more systematically, but we are perfectly positioned to be in population health as the healthcare system changes. And I think that's also what the 
paper really highlighted for me was the Diabetes Educators Evolving Role paper talked so much about the changes in healthcare and how we are moving towards value-based care and quality care and the payment structures that were changing. And that was like my aha moment. Oh my gosh, we are perfectly positioned to be helping our healthcare systems and people with diabetes and populations improve their diabetes care because we know when people work with diabetes care and education specialists, at least my personal experience is people would always say to me, why didn't someone tell me this sooner? Why did I have to wait 20 years to learn about how to best manage my diabetes? So that was just like, what if all of us diabetes care and education specialists were there when that person was newly diagnosed? How would the landscape of diabetes care look if everybody got the services they needed at the right time? I would say, I think we both had the same aha moment with that paper. I had a similar take on it. I think it was almost you touched on person-centered to population health. And when I read that paper, I thought, boy, this is like almost counterintuitive, right? Like, because you're looking at person-centered, but really that's population that supports population health. They seem like they're two divergent ideas, but really one leads to the other. And I would say, you know, thinking about precision medicine too, right around the corner. I shouldn't say right around the corner anymore. Precision medicine is here um, and that impacts population health. I think we could talk for hours about this, but I would love to hear about how you got started in population health. You already kind of alluded to this, but maybe you could, you know, just give our listeners a minute or two on really how you inserted yourself. Yes. So what's really neat is that, like I said, I was working for a, a large institution that We were already doing some non-traditional types of diabetes care in addition to our traditional types of diabetes care. And what happened was that I was working in the endocrinology department and we were set out by, at the time was called the distance health team, which was kind of in charge of all the virtual care, virtual visits. I'd already been doing some virtual visits and this was all pre-COVID-19. And they were looking to expand the ability to do remote glucose monitoring. So they smartly came to the people who work mostly with glucose, which is the diabetes team and the diabetes care and education specialists. And they were looking for, I would say, a care coordinator or someone to help set up a remote glucose monitoring program. At the time, it was actually not being discussed that it should be a diabetes care and education specialist. And as soon as I heard what the role was or what the role could be, it instantly kind of connected with me that somebody who is specializing in diabetes care and education, a DCES, really should be the person in that position. If we're going to ask somebody to look at people's glucose data, don't we want that to be somebody who understands the glucose data? (laughs) So to me, that was like just a um, a no-brainer that it should be a DCES. So I I asked if that would be some, I don't don't even know if I asked. I think the idea got tossed around that uh, what if we did have it be a DCES and that that was an opportunity that I was able to really start something brand new from the ground up because of another department's willingness to ask us to do remote glucose monitoring. So that's kind of where I started was developing a remote glucose monitoring program really from nothing. Because when I, what, what was, I would say is challenging is that I would go to some meetings about this position, about what we were going to do. And there really wasn't a lot of um, structure to what they were looking for. So that was part of what drove me to, um, this kind of all happened around the same time, drove me to be reading that population health paper and then digging into population health a little bit more, looking at, well, who else has done this? 
is anybody else doing remote glucose monitoring and are they incorporating it into a population health style approach? And so what I found uh, was the MedStar program, which is out of Washington, D.C., and they had used a remote glucose monitoring program as well as risk stratification in their hospital systems. And they had actually published a paper in 2019, I believe, showing that they were able to get people with A1Cs greater than 9%, less than 9% within three months of using a remote glucose monitoring program. And that was so neat to me to be able to see both population health, because I think what I probably didn't define earlier when you asked me about population health was the risk stratification. And that's what I think we could do better at. And as we start to develop new programs and new positions for the diabetes care and education specialists within population health, defining who's at the most risk and what types of interventions we could be doing. And that's what MedStar did is they, they found higher risk people with di- living with diabetes and looked for an intervention that could best help decrease that risk of A1Cs over nine. Um, so as I was developing a remote glucose monitoring program, I took that program, the MedStar program, and my knowledge from the population health paper to our administration to say, well, how do we want to develop a new program like this? And do we want to model it off of the MedStar program? Because it just seemed like such a robust program to me with outcomes, um, which is why I was really excited about that. So when you talk about the MedStar program and risk assessment, all of that says to me, I mean, I love that, number one, um, because why recreate the wheel? Um, Number two, it says to me that population health is really collaborative work. It's not something, you know, you can do alone. So I wonder, what does this program look like when you implemented it into your health system? Yeah, so I was a a team of one at the time. (laughs) And I I thought, oh my, they had a a whole team of people in their virtual glucose monitoring program. I I believe they had a nurse practitioner, an, an RD, an RN. And a pharmacist, but they didn't start that way. Um, they started smaller, uh, like I did. So it was kind of nice to know that you just have to start somewhere. And I think that's what helped keep me from getting too overwhelmed is that we just had to start somewhere. <laughs> so at the time, we actually did not decide to do risk stratification at the beginning. We just decided to do a pilot. And the pilot was to see if people would be willing to number one, do a remote glucose monitoring program, the the people living with diabetes, and also number two, how we were going to get the data to be able to look at glucose. Because what what MedStar had that I didn't was that they were able to use a um, smart meter that they gave to the people with living with diabetes. And I did not have technology to hand to people. So what we did is we developed a pilot program Um, so that we could kind of test the waters and see were people willing to share their data with us and also how are we going to get that information and how are we going to get it into our electronic medical record. So I started with just looking at people who already had connected devices, so either continuous glucose monitors or connected blood glucose monitors or insulin pumps, and offered the pilot program to those folks. And that's really kind of where it started So we did not, at the beginning, do a population health approach. However, pilot programs are pilot programs, so it has evolved since then. And now the criteria to do the remote monitoring actually is a little bit more population health driven. Um, We are looking at recruiting people into the remote monitoring program that either have A1Cs over nine, 
that have frequent hypoglycemia or had a recent hospitalization for a diabetes-related issue. So they still have to have their own smartphone or connected device, but also looking at a higher risk population. Because what I found when I was using kind of anybody and everybody is that I was getting a lot of people who were interested and wanted us to look at their data, but also they were doing well uh, with managing their diabetes, which is great. And, uh, but we weren't necessarily making an impact at that population level. So it has evolved, as you mentioned. <laughs> Well, you know, it's interesting to hear. I mean, and this is something that I think our listeners could take away. You know, you can do a pilot project and then, you know, you can look at the small group that you're working with in the pilot and then take those variables away that could really help the population as a whole and then start implementing something that way. So really, the, I mean, there is a great amount of creativity here for the diabetes care and education specialists. And Don, I would be interested in hearing, you know, how did you leverage this program to expand your role in the system? Yes. So I think that's probably what was really exciting for me was to see that because I was the person who was in this role and because I was the person doing kind of the homework to look at how do we want to develop it and design it, it occurred to me that, hey, I'm being looked at by administration as the expert here. <laughs> um, so it really was exciting to say, okay, well, I do have the diabetes knowledge and the expertise. What I didn't know was how to really bring this back to the administration to say, how, how are we going to benefit you know, the hospital with this? So it allowed me to really kind of grow in my role as a DCES and my strategic thinking. So I we needed to decide, you know, how are we going to grow the program? And one person probably can't do this. <laughs> and so I, I looked at all kinds of different ways of thinking. Um, one of the thought processes I would say was that I had thought, well, what if we had all of the diabetes care and education specialists work remote monitoring into their everyday diabetes care and education, which at the time I thought could be something really interesting and then would expand the role of the DCES throughout the entire organization. I still think that that's kind of interesting, but we did not end up going that route. One of the things that we did talk about was whether we wanted it to be fee-for-service, uh, which at the time, the endocrinology department was still doing a fee-for-service model, not necessarily an ACO model. So we really had to look at, you know, what is the cost of the person doing the monitoring? What is the cost? What types of fees are we going to be bringing in? Will people's insurances pay for this? We knew Medicare would, but we didn't know if other insurances were going to pay. So all of that had to be looked at to decide how to grow the program and how, and how to fund it. And I knew for sure that while I had a lot of knowledge about diabetes care, education, and medications, I didn't have the ability to change medications, and that would be something that would be very impactful. So it was always in the back of my mind that we needed to have a pharmacist on board because in Ohio, we do have the ability to do a practice agreement for pharmacists to be able to adjust medications between visits. Um, so that was part of driving the change in the structure was finding out how much it would cost <laughs> and could we add a pharmacist to the team. Now, I will say I looked at other options in case we couldn't do that because MedStar did have uh, in their paper, they showed their medication protocol, their medication adjustment protocol. Well, and I know that you're going to keep working on this. And I love hearing that you found your seat at the table and 
you've been able to make such an impact on your population and people in your health system with diabetes. So you know what, Don, I hate to say, but we are getting close to the end of our time here. And I want to give you the opportunity, you know, because you have your seat at the table, because you've learned so much in your experience, like what would be, you know, just some final thoughts you'd want to share with our listeners to say, hey, you can do this. You can implement something like this in your system. Yeah, I think that is part of what I really liked about this was was being able to say, hey, we are population health. We can do this and you can do this. You know, as a diabetes care and education specialist, sometimes you feel like you don't have a lot of power, especially if you don't have that medication adjustment power. (laughs) But the reality is, is that healthcare is changing and it's changing in a way that really does give the diabetes care and education specialist opportunities that just weren't maybe even there before. I go back to that population health paper because my favorite table in that paper compared the traditional healthcare model to the emerging healthcare model. So my my final thought to be able to say, hey, you can do this, is that if you look at the emerging healthcare model, it's a proactive model. It thinks about things that we probably already would have liked to have had. So instead of needing a referral for diabetes care and education, there's maybe an automatic trigger um, because of the standardization and the population health side of things um, that people are just going to get triggered to be referred to care. I always think about the stroke protocols in hospitals. When someone has a stroke, there are set things that you just do. And I've always wondered why was that not true in diabetes care? But I think that's coming to be true because of the population health initiatives. And there's such a huge opportunity for the diabetes care and education specialists to help develop that. And it helps people get the care that they need when they need it, which is what we all probably really wish we would have been able to provide for people with diabetes in the first place. (laughs) Those are my like final thoughts that it is doable and that the healthcare model, the changing models of care and the way healthcare is changing is really going to highlight how valuable the DCES is. Well, and maybe the new mantra should be, we are population health. I heard you say that when you first started and I I, I just love that. So maybe that should be our, our new mantra as we That's go. It. <laughs> well, Dawn, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation and I hope we get a chance to talk to you again soon. Maybe once you've done your next population health program, you could come on and share with us. Awesome. Sounds good. <laughs> thank you so much. It was so awesome to work with you here. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle conversations with the diabetes care team. Today we heard from Dawn No about how she leveraged her role to build and manage a population health program in her system. Whether you are a team of one or 20, you have the knowledge and skill set to impact high-risk individuals at the population level. Position yourself as a resource for leadership and focus on where you can provide impact and prove your worth. For more on what you can do to leverage your value in population health, check out a new toolkit with resources to help you grow. You can access the toolkit and paper at diabeteseducator.org forward slash value toolkit. Membership at ADCES gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.